so friends, uh, uh, today's Twitter space discussion is obviously in the, uh, the crisis uh, which has taken place in Sri Lanka, but there are multiple parts of it. But one thing before we start uh, our conversation with our esteemed guest, whom I'm going to introduce uh, in a short while is one that uh, a lot has been made about the visuals which have circulated uh, in media, uh, protesters taking over the prime minister's office, rushing inside the president's house. But I would say that uh, as a global citizen, uh, there is a decency in the way the protest has taken place. Uh, Mr. Vikram Singh's uh, statement has come out saying that uh, the fastest elements of the protests have to be dealt with. But India has also undergone, seen massive protests in 70s, 80s, in 2011 and 13, uh, which were Lokpal Bill protests. But I, as a journalist, have not seen protest which is organized without an organized leadership, uh, peaceful in the sense that it has not... Uh, uh, there has not been large-scale arson in uh, in the sense. Yes, there have been uh, events, but uh, more so, uh, I think the questions will be around uh, why did protests became so intense? Is it because of the fact that the elected representative failed to keep pace with the aspiration of a common Sri Lankan people, what they expected them to do, uh, or the way they expected them to behave, the, the reforms they wanted? And the issue, why blame the protesters? Uh, protests have their episodes of violence, but even today, when I was going through the social media feed, I saw them feeding people, uh, providing bandage to the armed forces, even giving them water, uh, biscuit. So I think it's far more complex because when I saw that tweet and the word fascist, uh, and I, I felt that uh, somehow there, there's a lot of decency, courage, conviction attached with the protesters, the way an average Sri Lankan has, uh, I think no way it can be said that, uh, you know, the fascists have taken over, but then it's up to the speakers and esteemed guests who joined me from Sri Lanka. Uh, but uh, as a journalist uh, from India, uh, I, um, uh, I would say that I have not seen such intense protests which have not degenerated into uh, violence or uh, I don't want to use the word anarchy. Uh, the way protests happened during 2011, which we uh, which we called uh, the Arab Spring. Uh, just to introduce my speakers, uh, I'll be uh, I'm joined by uh, Dr. Aruna Kulatunga, political analyst, uh, Mr. Vijay Vardhana, former Central Bank Deputy Governor. Uh, Rohan Samarjeeva, policy entrepreneur, who's working at the intersection of economics, law, and technology, and Anushka Vijjasena, doesn't need introduction, economist, uh, and currently working on trade strategy, export diversification, economic competitiveness. So first I'll uh, come to uh, uh, Rohan Samarjeeva. Rohan, what I want to know from you is, how would you describe the nature of the protest? And is it correct to say that the fascists have taken over the protests? Rohan, you'll have to unmute yourself. Rohan, am I audible to you? I think uh, I think there's a there's a connection problem. I'll take this uh, I'll take this uh, question to uh, Vijay Vardhana, sir. Am I audible to you? Can you please unmute yourself, all of you, uh, Mr. Vijay Vardhana? Okay, I have now uh, unmuted. Yes. So can you... Uh, yes, have I. Uh, right. Hi, Rohan. I have given that question to Mr. Vijay I'll just come back to you. 
yeah so would you describe them as fascist when the protesters uh overall if you look at it uh they have been very very peaceful yeah it has actually been peaceful so far i don't think any violent action has taken place uh, from the side of the people who had been in the protest campaign uh, there are some stories circulating in colombo that Uh, some interested parties had, uh, in fact, uh, created some violence, some instances of violence, uh, and there is no any evidence, uh, credible evidence, to us that uh, the protesters had uh, engaged in their violence. And it actually, these acts of violence may have been committed by some interested parties. So far, in my view, the entire uh, protest campaign has been peaceful. and uh, there has not been any bloodbath uh, from the side of the uh, the protesters so whatever uh, that might happen in the future which we don't know because we actually uh, even though the past has been under our control it seems that the future is no longer in the control of the people of sri lanka uh, rohan uh, yes my question to you was why do we call them fascists and secondly how do you interpret mr gotobaya rajapaksa leaving sri lanka for maldives and now i am being told that he is heading to singapore yeah this has been a decentralized uh, struggle it has been very clear in all my interactions with the the protesters that they have always prefaced their comments saying we represent represent a segment we represent our organization rather than the entire struggle so when you have a situation of a decentralized struggle actually i was given numbers saying that a particular document had 70 organizations that had joined in formulating it 70 right so when you have a decentralized struggle of this nature it is uh, likely or it would be actually quite improbable uh, if one or two of them may not be extraordinarily pacifist or one or two of them would not be would be somewhat extremist or fascist which is the term that the prime minister used that is not that cannot be ruled out uh, now uh, as uh, my colleague uh, dr vijayadana said uh, it has been uh, unusually peaceful in the sense that uh, despite the momentous changes that happened on the 9th of uh, this month uh just slightly over 100 people were hospitalized among them maybe one or two in uh, critical condition and while there were some rumors of two deaths they have not been confirmed so we could say there have been no fatalities uh now the issue is that this kind of decentralized struggle you have to 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 stop aggravating things now what we were hoping was that mr gotabe rajapaksa had said that he will resign on the 13th of this month that means now we are more than half way into the 13th into this month into this day of promise what he should have done in my opinion was that he was holding it back because he said i will not be able to get out of the country okay so he is putting his self interest foremost which he has always done now what he should have done was as president i want to take a aircraft out of this country okay do that now when you get off that aircraft when you are on foreign soil when you are outside the jurisdiction of sri lanka what you should do is to hand over that letter 
and tell the pilot, please submit this, give this letter to the speaker. He didn't do that. He's still playing around. He's still fudging around. And this is the, the conclusion that I have said over and over again in repeated different contexts, that this guy makes mistakes when it comes to remedies. It's always too little, too late. Now, if he had done that, we would have no violence on the streets today. But now there are, one could argue, there are grounds for violence. That there are some people who say, how can we believe anybody? And therefore, we must, uh, we must do something about it. Now, I was contacted by a number of senior leaders, senior, uh, secular, uh, not political leaders, and said, you know, please talk to whoever, get some peace um, on, the, on the streets, because this thing can go out of control. And remember, in about four or five hours, it's going to get dark. And when mobs are out on the street, however peaceful they are, they look like, darkness is never the friend of peace and order. So it is important that this letter comes before dark. But instead, it's supposed to be coming at 8 p.m. He might wait till, I don't know, 11.59 to, to give this letter, because that would still be within the 13th. Uh, this is sad that we have this saying in Sri Lanka. I am sure people in India also know of this, of Lord Hanuman, who came to Sri Lanka uh, on a sort of reconnaissance mission uh, early in the Ramayana. And after he was scouting around, he he, they found him, and somebody said fire to his tail. And there are burnt patches of soil in Sri Lanka that we still say is because he set fire to the entire island. So what I think is this is like Hanuma. He is setting fire to the entire country. And if we are engaged in this activity, we are like the tail. The man is outside but the tail is still active inside the country, which is very sad. Rohan, that's very well put. Uh, the protest and the struggle show uh, that the people, Sri Lankans, they desire deep change. Uh, we saw during Arab Spring that the change happened, but at a superficial level. The deep change did not happen. If you look at the way things happened in Egypt, uh, Tunisia, the deep change did not come. The democratization did not come. Do you think that this protest would uh, kickstart a deep change, uh, which I think in my previous podcast in which uh, Arun and you were there, Anushka was also there, spoke about changes in the constitution, changes in the power of the president, uh, changes in the way uh, uh, the government functions. Yeah, these are the things that we should be working on, not talking about you know who's setting fire to what or which building has been taken over. Um, for example, a document was tabled maybe a week or slightly more than that uh, ago in parliament, which should have allowed, which should have activated 16 um, oversight committees. You see, parliament or legislatures work better when people from all parties work together to solve problems rather than engage in theatrics in the main chamber, which is all that has been going on in our parliament. 
people don't read their bills, they don't study them, they just come and they just vote for or against. Instead, we've had a very good experiment with oversight committees uh, until 2019, and all the, uh, the standing orders had been done, and we've had three or four years of experience doing them. And now we, were, we are in the process of reactivating these committees, uh, which would be all party, which would have the participation of all the members, would not be headed by a minister, but would instead be headed by a backbencher, uh, a non a person who's not part of the executive. And this would include uh, non-MP members uh, for young people who would be selected through a transparent application process and selection process that would not involve politicians and a roster of experts, again, whose, whose qualifications would be transparently available on the websites. Now, this is, these are, in my view, uh, substantive changes in governance that, that of the type that you're talking about. Uh, there is support for this among, again, as I say, I do not, well, people, people cannot say they represent the protest. There's no single leadership, there's no coordinating committee and so on. There is support for this among uh, several of the groups that we are in touch with. There is also, there are also considerations about making some fundamental changes in the economy. Uh, both Anushka and uh, um, Dr. Vijayvadana would be able to, to add to this, but uh, work has been going on for months now, trying to develop a sort of a basic common program for economic recovery. And uh, just a couple of days ago, um, a multi-party group of MPs uh, tweeted that they had actually reached agreement on such a document. And I have a sort of stake in this because one of the base documents was one that I was involved in, in putting together. So uh, quite a lot of important, significant economic changes are being considered and being discussed. This is what we should be doing, not this mad rush to see which particular building has been taken over and complaining about what particular furniture has been destroyed or not. These are the fundamental changes that active citizens that we see emerging from this unfortunate condition that we are in. Uh, this is what could give rise to something good coming out of this. Okay. Anush, your thoughts on the decentralized uh, protest and the analogy I drew of the Arab Spring uh, and the deep changes it did not uh, bring about in West Asia and North of Africa. Uh, do you think that uh, uh, the sort of uh, decentralized struggle which has taken place in Sri Lanka will bring those changes and Sri Lankan experience will be different from that was that which was witnessed in West Asia more than a decade ago? Anush? Thanks, Kartikya. And it's really nice to join uh, several familiar faces, but also so many others uh, from Sri Lanka and uh, who, who care about a lot of these issues on this Twitter space today. Uh, let me just first make a quick remark relating to your first uh, questions to the others about the, the protests and the protesters. And uh, Dr. Samarajeeva said that uh, everything should be done to not further aggravate. And I think the Prime Minister's statement a short while ago 
where he characterized protesters or the, the trend towards uh, fascists and fascism was uh, inflammatory. And I think it would certainly be one of those additional factors that aggravate people. Because right now, even in those protest sites, uh, there are many people who are like who are like me. I'm doing this Twitter space uh, in the comfort of my home, but there are people who are from the private sector, tech entrepreneurs, uh, civil society activists, and others who are out there as well. So to characterize the protesters who are there today, uh, including those who stormed the prime minister's office as, as fascists and as extreme elements, I think uh, seriously misses uh, reading of the room um, by not only the prime minister, but many others who, who have that view. So I think that's a first point to, to make. And I think that, that then uh, moves on to the point that I think the longer we, uh, all, of, all of us don't recognize uh, what's, what's taking place and the kind of change we wanted and this attempt to uh, polarize and divide uh, the, the pro- not just the protesters, but in general people calling for change, it makes it harder to get to the kind of consensus and moving on with implementing some of those changes that Dr. Samarajiva also talked about. Um, in terms of those uh, deeper reforms, um, I don't have a crystal ball to know whether uh, we will end up like uh, the countries who witnessed the Arab Spring or others where there was popular uprisings in call for reform. But uh, at least on the economy, since Dr. Samarajiva set out very clearly some of the political and constitutional, uh, political and parliamentary procedural changes that can contribute on the economy, we have never before seen this level of recognition across party, political, ideological, and professional uh, circles of the policy mistakes and the economic the mistakes in economic orientation and economic decision making that led us to this point and i think the fact that there is such wide recognition of it helps to get to the next stage of doing something about it and dr samarji referred to that potential common minimum program there were inputs that came from a group of independent economists of which i was a part um, there were many other contributions from different groups and it was quite interesting to see, bar one or two potentially politically sensitive areas that are harder to implement, uh, wide acknowledgement and recognition of some of the core areas of reform. And those need to necessarily be part of the agenda of any new multi-party interim administration that would uh, come in over the next couple of weeks. That agenda needs to be front and center. And along with that, in terms of... Uh, not aggravating, I think the, the other end of that is demonstrating real and concrete steps that signify this change. For example, the new administ- interim administration can't have 30, 40 ministries and state ministries. People have both in form and function, there has to be a shift in governance. So seeing that there will be a, f- uh, a limited number of ministers, a small focused cabinet that is working towards alleviating the challenges that people face right now, um, some semblance of uh, unity on uh, the core economic recovery areas and in order to engage with our multilaterals, bilaterals, 
get the IMF program uh, on track, make sure that there are real steps made towards getting the necessary foreign currency to, to support fuel, cooking gas, medicine, and food imports. So um, just to summarize, I think uh, while it is decentralized, the, the extent to which the economy has been ruined uh, and the huge surge in some form of economic literacy over the last few months uh, and people's eyes have been opened to what needs to be fixed, what went wrong. And now I think coalescing those, that the recognition of those mistakes, coalescing that around a set of basic reform areas that can be done soon will be what the, what the task of the forthcoming interim administration would be. Uh, very well put. Uh, Arun, if you recall, uh, when Tehri Square protests happened, uh, there was no organized leadership. Uh, but then the changes did happen. There is one thing which is very, very evident in the protest that there is an absence of a sort of a uh, soothing leadership as of now, a sort of a face which an, a common Sri Lankan can trust. Do you think in whatever position Mr. Vikram Singh finds himself, he will be able to provide and shoulder, provide, and shoulder that responsibility and be that figurehead which can... Which can Suit the freight nerves, if I if I put it in this way. First of all, I think I I, I have to say that I agree with uh, both uh, Dr. Jawaharlal uh, Rohan and uh, Anush in what they said. Spot on on what they said. Now, as for whether uh, the acting president or Prime Minister Mr. Kumsen can be the soothing figure, the problem is today that today his reaction. Um, in calling the uh, demonstrations fascist uh, is not what I would have expected him to say. Uh, I would have expected him to work on a, a soothing solution, but uh, that's not what is happening at the moment. So we don't know uh, in the next couple of hours uh, how this is going to escalate. The arms, he, he made a, a, a speech a couple of hours, just more than an hour ago, and said that uh, the, he has given this over, handed over the problem to the armed forces to control. Uh, from what I see, the armed forces are also reluctant to take on the demonstrators. Um, so we have to wait and see uh, how that is going to lead. But uh, to answer your question, um, I expected, I think all of us expected that soothing phase. But unfortunately, that is not what we saw today. May I add to that? Yes, you can add to that. Well, you see, uh, we have a constitution in this country that lays out certain procedures. The dates for selecting, electing the new, subs, new president has already been set. So the nominations close on the 18th or the 19th, and the election will take place on the 20th. Now, Mr. Vikram Singh is, is basically a stand-in. He's a temporary figure. It's who that new president is going to be and who the new prime minister and the new cabinet will be that is going to provide this soothing leadership, etc., etc. It'll have to come from inside parliament, uh, we, we believe, because that's what the constitution sets out. Uh, I don't think there are some, while some people are talking about going outside the constitution, which I find quite disturbing, uh, I think so far, 
many of the major uh, actors in this drama are talking about working through the provisions of the constitution. I think that's important to keep in mind that this is a, even in that speech that Aruna referred to, Mr. Vikram Singer talks about the election that will be held and the, 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 the procedures that are already uh, underway. May I may I continue from where? Uh, can I can I just uh, just stop yourself for, uh, for uh, stop you for a minute? I need to uh, also involve uh, uh, Doctor Vijay Vardhane. And the question here is, sir, if you can unmute yourself, because we have been talking about decentralized protests. We have been talking about uh, the sort of conviction, courage, and discipline they have shown. But what explains, uh, you know? the exit of Gotubaya Rajapaksa, who was a civil war victor, and his presidency was drowned by civil protests. Uh, and civil is a word which I use. Civil war victor drowned by civil protest. Isn't it ironical? Well, of course, it's ironical, but it's not unexpected, mainly because of the uh, various policy errors that he made after he became the president. I mean, starting from the day one, he started uh, a new uh, tax regime under which he lost about, say, 600 billion Sri Lanka rupees per annum to the public coffers. Then he got the uh, central bank to uh, issue money so that the uh, increased public expenditure programs could be financed by that. And also he wanted to uh, convert Sri Lanka to an organic uh, agriculture system overnight. So likewise, uh, and, and refusal to seek IMF assistance and keeping the exchange rate at uh, an artificial rate at 200 rupees uh, per US dollar for a significantly long period of time. Now, all these things have created a shortage of foreign exchange in Sri Lanka. And as a result, uh, we, Sri Lanka could no longer maintain the basic necessary import program for the country. So as a result, we have... Uh, queues for all kinds of, you know, essential items like fuel, uh, cooking gas, mm, medicines, mm, milk foods, mm, and pretty soon there will be queues for rice as well. So as a result, the people had been put into innumerable hardships and inconveniences by the, by the president. So whatever the previous uh, gains that he had made as a, as, as, as a person who had actually led the war along with his brother to a, a final conclusion had been lost in the minds of the people of the country. Because uh, when the policies taken by the uh, Gautabai Rajpaksa administration had hit not only your purse, but also your stomach, uh, then of course you can't keep the people out of the uh, street. And that is why uh, they had come in the streets and they had protested. And those protest campaigns had swelled day by day. And as a result, finally, we have now come to this situation as uh, Professor Samarjeeva and also Anushka and Aruna, all the three other commentators here had very correctly pointed out that uh, the, uh, the present situation is a very uh, dramatic. Actually, it's a very alarming situation, I can tell you, because right now uh, the acting president, Ranil Singh, has appointed a committee consisting of the chief of defense of staff, uh, Tri-Forces commanders, IGP, uh, and they have been given full powers to bring the current situation under control. What it means is 
there is no any soothing uh, uh, message given by the acting president actually acting president has asked the arm fellows to uh, go and destroy the entire entire protest campaign in fact in this in kind in a situation like this where there is a civil war what is needed is to get the civil society leaders to lead the uh, uh, complete uh, reconciliation process and not by the armed forces so i think uh, just like gotabe rajapaksa making one mistake after the other uh, acting president ranilwickrem singh is also making similarly one mistake after the other so as a result uh, we are actually moving into a very dark age uh, right now i'll have to mention that sri lanka's economy is now in early 1980s so probably ranilwickrem singh will take this back to early 1960s and from which we will not be able to recover ourselves anymore are you saying dr vijay vardhane that there is a there is a chance that the civil protest can degenerate into a civil war because uh... no i i don't say that it will be dangerous but what i mean is that you know the uh, the reconciliation has been handed over to the army people so once the rec- army people know only how to shoot they don't know you know how to communicate with people how to get them back to the uh, maybe the negotiating table you know that part has to be done by the civil society leaders in the country because there are several civil society leaders in the country and uh, those leaders should have been engaged by the acting uh, president uh, ranilwickrem singh instead oh. actually ranilwickrem singh is actually functioning as a dictator right now he's a dictator mm. राजपक्सापक्सा Uh, democratic credibility of the system you know it's like indian prime minister fleeing how you know it's it's like uh, it's it's a sense of betrayal you know you should be there to face the people legally politically constitutionally please go ahead arun yeah let me let me start off uh, from the tail end of uh, dr jayawardena uh, what he said now from what ranil has done up to so far other than the speech that he has made is 100% according to the constitution so he has been following the constitution and then coming to this very point that we are now and as rohan said before there is about 10 days for us to go uh, or less than 10 days 5 days for us to go for this so called election on the 20th now before that before today in the morning we were all expecting something slightly different and what we were expecting is that president will let you not know, resign he will let um ranil wickremesinghe become the uh, acting president until such time that uh, ranil wickremesinghe can bring some kind of uh, stability to what is going on but that's not that's not what happened and uh, so it's, it's a little puzzling as to why this next step was taken uh, and why this confrontation is happening so going back to what rohan was saying i agree with rohan in, in the sense of um you know that there is a that he's been acting constitutionally all of that is correct however i think i think um the fact the very fact that there was a threat to his office uh has made him uh take a, a, a fairly hard stance because 
from that video, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not really pre-do or phase three as such, but I've seen uh, Mr. Vikramasinghe's speeches over a period of 40 years now, and I can see that he's not in that happy place that he should be, uh, and he's uh, he's reacting to this quite badly. Now, in the sense of did Gotabe leaving the country um, has made us kind of, you know, a, a failed state. Not quite sure. Uh, I'm not sure in the first place. Uh, now, to me, Gotabe leaving the country was a surprise because I didn't expect him to do that. I expect him to stand and, you know, and resign and, and, and take the heat. He's a military man. Uh, he has been a strong man in that sense. And uh, I don't know in the first place why he why he left the country, but that is why we all thought in and my circle we thought okay he will leave he will give the chance to Vikramasinghe to do what he can do and he'll come back and then resign. But that's not what is happening. So there are two there's a dichotomy here and it's it's difficult to reconcile both sides of the story. Uh, I want to... want to... yes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. You add on to it, but this is for all of you because this has just happened while we were having a conversation so that you can respond to it. This is by Mr. Sajit Premadasa, uh, the leader of the opposition. He says an MP with one seat is appointed as prime minister. Now the same person is appointed as acting president. This is the Rajapaksa style of democracy. What a farce, what a tragedy. And we were speaking about can there be a political consensus for an effective economic roadmap. Anush, to you. Yeah, so just to pick up from uh, what uh, Mr. Vijayvardhana mentioned, I think we have to look at what this latest uh, uh, latest announcement by uh, Rani Vikram Singh is. Right? He has said that they, there will be a committee consisting of the IGP and defense chiefs who have been appointed to independently take decisions to de-escalate the present situation. Now, uh, in my mind, with everything that's going on, I would imagine that the highest leader in the land is responsible for de-escalating the present situation, number one. Number two, with, uh, with uh, I mean, that I, I really don't see the necessity for there to be an announcement of a committee of these uh, uh, forces in order to deal with it because, you know, they, they are authorized to deal with it as, as needed. And more importantly, with the way in which some of the uh, forces for a period of time on, on Saturday uh, acted, uh, acted out quite violently and brutally attacked journalists and, uh, and protesters, uh, that, uh, he, he and others should read the room, right? There is an element of uh, distrust between the public and the security forces and for give, providing them further authority where he is seen to be either stepping back or almost abdicating the responsibility for de-escalation or bringing people together is, is, uh, is dangerous. We saw scenes today of Air Force helicopters flying dangerously low to the protesters at GGG at Golface with soldiers armed, uh, sticking their guns out of the uh, out of the helicopter windows. Um, uh, but at the same time, today at the prime minister's office, after the protesters stormed the office, we see scenes of protesters and police sharing water and biscuits in, and protesters helping the police and SDF to wash their eyes off out of the tear gas that they both face. 
So this is a very, we have a very small window in which to rebuild this trust, a very small window in which the political leadership can, uh, can read the room and act accordingly. And I think that window is closing fast. Uh, may I add a... Absolutely. Also, one, yeah, just to, you see... Just to close the loop on that, also just to point out that uh, in that spirit of what Dr. Samaji was said earlier about the decentralized nature, there's also an element, at, at least of, as of now, of self-regulation by those protesters. You see the, the posters put inside the, these uh, uh, president's house and presidential secretariat, which say, don't damage, this is public property, our tax money has paid for it, don't damage uh, these, these uh, items. Uh, so uh, that there is that element of self-regulation, which I think could be there and that goodwill could be there for a while if the right steps are taken. But that could also change very fast. And I think de-escalating should be not the responsibility necessarily of the security forces, but the highest leader in the land. Correct. Um, and Rohan, can you just add, uh, explain this to us? Because I was uh, going through a couple of uh, newspapers and websites. And uh, one of them, uh, one of them said that it will be very difficult for uh, Sri Lanka to organize, quoting the President Election Commission, to organize staff polls in next within next four months or within three months. So my question to you, apart from your intervention, is: Can snap polls resolve this issue? Bring the trust so that people can vote for those whom they trust. Um. Let's see. Are we unmuted? Yeah. Um, let me first clarify. Um, when it comes to de-escalation, I think we have to see what the demands of the protesters have been. The first demand of the protester has been, protest was, go to go home. Now, one could argue that he is on the way, way home, right? Now, that meant that he has to resign. So, for all the subsequent activities to take place, that res letter of resignation an official letter of resignation must reach the speaker's hands. Now, that is a concrete way to de-escalate. The second demand of the protesters was that the Rajapakshas should not be involved in the government. Now, there are five or six Rajapakshas from the same family, the immediate family, in parliament, and nobody has talked about them resigning, though the eldest brother did uh, indicate that he was thinking of resigning, but that was not followed through. Um, <clears throat> but they are not in powers of executive uh, responsibility, and any new cabinet that is being put in place should not have the Rajapaksas, because they were a system. It's sort of not being vindictive to say, out with the Rajapaksas, because they were uh, sort of, they allocated most of the budget to themselves, and they interfered in everybody else's portfolios and so on and so forth. Now, <clears throat> the new, uh, the, the election that I referred to is an election where the voters, all the procedures have been uh, set down, first preferential vote, second preferential vote, and so on. But the voters are not the people of this country. It's the voters are the MPs, the 225 members of parliament. They will elect the president. Everything else is, is temporary. After the president is elected, the president will appoint a prime minister and a cabinet from among the 225 MPs. 
So that is what is to get us out of the situation that we are in. Now, I think there is general agreement among all the political party leaders that once the situation has been stabilized, some people believe it can be stabilized in six months. Some people believe it will take maybe 18 months. Let's settle on 12 months. Uh, what I mean by stabilized is that people are able to go about, that there are there is enough paper to print ballot papers, uh, that people are able to actually cook their food, and there's fuel to, for that purpose. That is what stabilization really means. So when all those things are in place, yes, an election can and should be held. But that election will be for parliament, for the house, right? There is no election set out in our constitution for a president. So the president's term, which began in November of, nine, of 2019, will continue to November of 2024 or some months before that. Uh, so that person who's elected on the 20th or who's unanimously acclaimed on the 19th or the 18th will be the person who will be serve as president until that time. Now, there are people like me who believe that we can get rid of the executive presidency before that or who believe or who hope that we will be able to do that. But that's a separate question. So what we are only talking about is a new parliamentary election. And uh, I have talked to many MPs, many sitting MPs, who uh, do agree that it's not a question of the money. I mean, money can be printed, as we, we know very well in Sri Lanka, for local expenditures and cause inflation to go crazy. Uh, but the question is whether they are capable of actually conducting election campaigns in the current inflamed conditions. So I do agree with everybody that what we really need is a calming influence. And I do hope that all the uh, voters at the election next week, that is the legislators, will think of a calming figure who will be able to, to play that role uh, in the position of the uh, president, and I think this group is of uh, consensus that uh, Mr. Uh, Vikramasinghe seems to be ruling himself out. If uh, if that is the case, uh, uh, Dr. Vijay Vardhan, if that is the case, who is the coming figure? I, if you if you look at globally, uh, there are one or two leaders who who get associated with a country. Like if you ask people, the tallest prime minister, they would remember half of the Indians would say Shinzo Abe. Because they have grown up seeing Shinzo Abe, so uh, the Gotobayas and the and the name Ranil Vikram Singhe are very familiar to an average Indian. But if you ask them about a third politician, they will they will not have an answer. Well, of course, uh, you are perfectly correct because they had been in politics uh, for a long period of time, and as a result. Their names had been uh, very familiar to uh, many people, not only Sri Lanka, but outside Sri Lanka. But of course, same thing you can uh, say about the cricketers in Sri Lanka also. I mean, the cricketers in Sri Lanka are known uh, beyond our borders by millions of other people. So likewise, I don't think that will be a very, uh, very uh, important issue that uh, we'll have to consider uh, when it comes to selecting the or electing the next leader. Uh, once the leader is elected, 
probably you know it is up to him to make himself known uh, through his work and not through the uh, through any other means and uh, he will have to if, if he delivers what sri lankan wants to uh, get right now uh, probably his name will uh, and his name and fame will spread uh, across the world so therefore i i don't think you know that's a very important issue in sri lanka right now Dr. Vijay Vardhana, you know, generally when narrative is built, people say, well, this is what the protesters have done. This is what they have done. This is where they have gone. But the narrative is not about what do the protesters want. Uh, there are no uh, answers. There are no uh, narratives in context of that. Why have they come? Why are they so agitated? What is the symbolism of people jumping into the pool? I think that these were not meaningless exercises or going inside the kitchen. It told us a story. It told us a story of disconnect. So the larger question, Dr. Vijayvardhane, is the how do how does this, that disconnect is bridged? I think well, uh, I think that's that that's where the focus should be for the betterment well, of an average Sri Lankan. Well, of course. Uh... professor rohan samarjeeva had very correctly uh, outlined what the protesters wanted and in fact you know what is happening because this uh, president's house set in fortune you know, i have visited that place many times during my time in the central bank and therefore i am very familiar with that but all these places had been uh, being out of bound for the ordinary common sri lankan so as a result once once the thing was opened Uh, it actually became a, a very uh, important site for these people to come and see and enjoy so that is why you know many people who had uh, not been able to see how so you are inaudible uh, i think there's a, t- a connection problem yeah now uh, can you hear doctor me uh, I-, i think there's a connection problem arun no, can, can you uh, can, can you address can this question for us well, how can uh, this disconnect be bridged can you unmute yourself yeah. yeah i have unmuted myself okay no that's all right so i can you hear me right now uh, yes i can i can hear you uh, dr vijayvardhan i think you were disconnected yes okay 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 that, that, that's all right no i mean to to actually to 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 connect the bridge between the uh, would be leaders of sri lanka and those who are protesting in the uh, in in the street Uh, in fact what is necessary is to uh, because their leaders had already put out a, a manifesto a very brief manifesto uh, which has to be satisfied by anyone who is going to be the leader of sri lanka in the future and uh, if if they can uh, simply accept the conditions in the manifesto and implement them uh, then of course you can build the bridge otherwise uh, the, the the gap between the Uh, two groups the people in the street and the people who are in in parliament uh, will continue to prevail may i add to that a little bit uh, uh, i mean we we talked about this class disconnect uh, in our last conversation as well now what i'm what i'm seeing is uh, one one additional thing i think rohan and uh, anush could also see this whoever the leader that comes in um, from the mainstream politics So it would be, would it be uh, Ranil Vikramasinghe, would it be Dinesh, where uh, Gunawardena, would it be uh, Field Marshal Fonseca, whoever it is. Arun, uh, uh, can I add one thing to you? Uh, yeah. Can I add one thing here? You can address that. This is an Indian experience, like in Indian democracy. In last ten years, 
outsiders became insiders in Indian democracy. For example, Prime Minister, though an insider in context of uh, RSS and BJP, was a Delhi outsider. Arvind Kejriwal was an outsider. So if you look at Indian democracy, outsiders are making waves in the political setup. Do you think that the Sri Lanka requires a political outsider for people to have faith in the system? This is uh, this is an analogy I'm trying to draw so that you can either differ with it, agree with it. This is exactly what I was going to say. So basically, in in uh, from what I see, the the traditional leadership seems to be rejected by those in the Aragale or the demonstrators. So they are looking for a new leadership as well. So I don't think that uh, if in this whoever that is within the current parliament or whoever that is uh, possibly who can be the president or the prime minister within this current parliament is going to be accepted by the by most of the groups, I won't say all of the groups, but most of the groups who have been taking part in this uh, demonstration on the ground. So that disconnect is there. So it's, it's going to be a very difficult thing to change that unless there's a general election. But then there's another problem because at, when it comes to a general election, the general population is not these demonstrators. So we have, we have several disconnects there. It's not just one. Okay, and Anushk, uh, th th there were uh, there were competing articles in India, and you would be very surprised that uh, the crisis uh, which has taken place in Sri Lanka also affected the narrative of the Indian media. And uh, since uh, populism or populist politics has uh, has been dominating global politics from America to India in the last fifteen years, uh, now the people say that. Sri Lanka shows limit of populism and populism unless and until matched with delivery mechanism will fail. Your thoughts, Anushk? I think what Sri Lanka has shown, Kartika, is the limits of uh, how long foolish economic policies can go on for before A, they begin to destroy the economy and B, uh, people uh, uh, lash, lash out and protest. So for me, uh, you know, the populism piece may have been more relevant during the first and second Mahindra Rajapaksa regime. Uh, frankly, I wouldn't characterize the, the uh, President Gotabe Rajapaksa regime as being particularly populist uh, because uh, all of the uh, policy errors, uh, I characterize his, his government as a regime of reversals where uh, things are introduced, poorly designed, don't do what they need to do, and then are quickly reversed. So I, I can't imagine this uh, most recent administration uh, you know, coming into that category. But I'm sure we can debate the semantics and nuances of what this populist leadership is and isn't. But I would just say that it, to your question about what it has shown the limits of, it has simply shown the limits of poor economic policy making, uh, economic policy making that is uh, not based on sensible uh, economic ideas that is not anchored to uh, realities happening in the global economy, not anchored to the realities of Sri Lanka's own economic conditions and likely risks and challenges emerging from policy missteps. Uh, and, and I think that's really what we should be focusing on. Uh, otherwise, if we 
you know, you know, don't recognize that we are not going to get to that next step of ensuring that a immediate next steps to alleviate the consequences of that those policy disasters are taken now uh, and help people keep their head above water, but also to ensure that structurally we put in place measures so that such uh, policy errors and disastrous decisions cannot be taken again. And that goes to some of the things that Dr. Rohan Samarajeev was talking about, whether it's the oversight committees, strengthening uh, independent commissions to ensure, for example, public money is well spent, public officials are able to act independently, that parliamentary has a great oversight over public finances, that there is accountability in economic policy decisions being taken, that officials that are responsible for bad economic policies are held accountable and are called out early not ex and exposed and in retrospect. So I think that should really be the focus, the limits of bad economic policy and what that could lead to. So basically, basically Anush said that, yes, absolutely. Basically, he's saying uh, that the decision-making in Sri Lankan democracy should be more participative and consultative mechanism should be stronger so that disastrous decisions could not be taken, like uh, decision to implement organic farming in Sri Lanka. And I think yes, uh, uh, Prime Vikram Singh was heading, and to, to, for whatever the credit has to give it to him, most of these, what, uh, what Amisha was saying and what uh, Dr. Rohan was saying earlier, were decisions that were taken during that Yahapalne government. And however, he was not able to implement them, and now he's trying to push them back again into the agenda. But, you know, this whole situation today, I'm not quite sure whether that is allowing him to go forward with what he wants. Okay, uh, Rohan? Yeah, um, uh, I would like to refer to your outsider narrative um, that, you know, in India, outsiders have become insiders. Well, this is the failure of an outsider that you are witnessing today. Uh, Mr. Gotabe Rajabaksa came in with zero experience in politics. He had never held any elective office before, and his entire claim to, to, to that he was suitable to be the president was that he said, I am an outsider. I'll take decisions. I will be, I will not, I will think out of the box. I will, I will make sure that the right decisions are taken and that they, that uh, knowledgeable experts will be given voice to. But instead he did the exact opposite. He came in and he started taking wrong decisions based on a Complete. I mean, and 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 to his credit, okay. So the the tax credits, the tax changes that we decried, were things that were included in his manifesto. The agricultural stupidities that he implemented were included in his manifesto. Only thing was what he said in ten years. He tried to do it in one year. But even if he did it in ten years, it was still wrong and against the established agricultural policies of this country and every country in the world. That a country of 22 million could be entirely sustained on without chemical fertilizer and, and pesticides and insecticides is nuts. It doesn't gel with the existing science. But these are things that were inside the outsider's manifesto, right? So the outsider has come and the outsider has failed. One reason, it's a more productive thing to way to look at it in terms of Indian concerns and Sri Lankan concerns, is that he was in a bubble. 
and the, that is he created a bubble for himself, uh, especially after pushing through, ramming through the 20th Amendment, where the considerable powers of the presidency were further increased so that he didn't have to listen to anybody, not to parliament, not to uh, independent commissions, uh, anybody. And once you get into that kind of bubble, you are shut out of useful corrective information. And once he was inside the bubble, it was very difficult for him to hear other people's voices. Now, there were attempts made to pierce that bubble and get some information across. So, for example, in uh, May of 2020, um, a group of us headed by uh, the former governor, Mr. Uh, Dr. Indrajit Kumar Swami, uh, gave him a report. This was in the early stages of the pandemic of how we should respond. And the number one proposal was go to the IMF. Debts are, we will not be able to manage our debts without uh, restructuring. But his internal insular group of advisors, because he didn't have to listen to anybody else, just the people he picked as his advisors. So he picked as his agricultural advisor, a Buddhist monk, and a medical doctor, a, a child pediatrician. These were his agricultural advisors. And he disregarded the entire uh, Department of Agriculture, which had 90 plus PhDs. So these are the real problems. And I think Anushka was talking about the need to have evidence-based uh, <clears throat> policymaking, to have oversight from uh, the legislature, and not that you know we should be making uh, public policies on the street. Uh, so I think uh, there are some some lessons to be drawn, but they may not be about whether the uh, whether the benefits of having outsiders and illiterate people who are learning on the job trying to run entire economies. <clears throat> uh, but uh, Rohan, what do you see in uh, for uh, uh, when it comes to Sri Lanka? In next 14, 72 hours, uh, do you think that the, the emergency provisions in place in the western part of Sri Lanka? Correct me because that's what is being uh, uh, that's what is being disseminated through wires. That the emergency has been proclaimed in the western part of Sri Lanka, not in the whole of Sri Lanka. No, no. How long? It's the emergency has been proclaimed for the whole of the country, but a curfew has been proclaimed for the western part. Okay. So how how long do you think that this will? Uh, uh, this will be uh, put in place, uh, the emergency provisions? The general rule is that, you know, under our constitution, an emergency can be declared, but it has to be, uh, it then has, the parliament has to meet and the parliament must approve it and there are various things that follow. So earlier what Mr. Godabe Rajapaksa was doing was that he would uh, declare an emergency and then he would pull it back uh, because he couldn't get it through parliament. Uh, so this too uh, will, in my opinion, this won't last. Uh, this will be till the middle of next week or something. And then it'll yeah, be pulled back. Four, 14 days uh, run for... Yeah, be it'll be pulled back. Yeah. And uh, Arun, do you expect that uh, uh, they can uh, you know, offer breakthrough with the... You know, I don't want to use the word crowd or the protesters. I would say the people who have been part of the civic protest. The citizens who have been Sri Lankan citizens who have been part of the civic protest. Do you expect a what breakthrough? Do you mean, what do you mean by a breakthrough? 
in the sense that at least uh, they, no protest for next 14 days, 15 days. No, that that would be that would be very difficult in the, in the current circumstances. Uh, so the the whole cry now has changed from go to go home to run and go home now. So and then after run and goes home, whoever who comes next will face exactly the same situation because that's that's your disconnect. That is where the whole 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 problem lies now because the people on the streets do not really know what they want. They don't see the future, and those who see the future don't see. The situation with the uh, with the demonstrators. So uh, the question that I, I've been asking everybody: Okay, what's next? What do you see next? So they they they've given a uh, as uh, Dr. Rohan said a, a very brief uh, manifesto, which is basically a hodgepodge of various different manifestos that have been floating around. But that's not the issue. The real real issue is not a not a long term one. But how how do we? get out of this immediate hole that we are in. How are we going to pay for our next fuel shipment, for example? None of these guys who are on the street seems to know that. So, the, the, and, and whereas with, with, with uh, Ranil Vikramasinghe, who's working on a program, he's going to go head on with these demonstrators now, and all of what he was trying to do, all the good work that he was trying to do, may come to a screeching halt. And my, my last question, any of you can uh, attempt that. Today I was surprised at one thing. Uh, after some resistance, armed forces let go of the protesters. Uh, this, is, this is not unique to Sri Lanka. This happens when part of the state gives up. Do you think that the part of a state has given up? And I saw this in a number of visuals. Why only today? I mean, when I said that there had been no casualties, I mean, I know that our Twitter space has been a flame of uh, brutality by the armed forces and so on and so forth. But, you know, I mean, this, it took two hands to clap. The, the, the uh, protesters were, I would say, you know, pretty civilized. Uh, they weren't throwing Molotov cocktails or anything like that. Uh, but also there was a certain degree of... Uh, uh, restraint, I think, among the, the armed forces. Uh, so I don't know whether this started today. I think uh, it goes back uh, even before the 9th. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they never resisted. They always pulled back when it came. Yeah. yeah. So what does it tell us? Uh, what does it tell us? Well, uh, you know, I mean, there's a larger picture, right? So uh, if you just go back to the 7th or 8th, right? So the uh, police go to the courts and say, can you give us a court order saying that this area around the president's house cannot be, uh, the protest cannot take place there. And these kinds of court orders have been given in the past for different locations, yeah? Here, the courts refused, right? And the police and the armed forces followed those rules. And that is, you could argue, that is why the president's house was taken. Right? When you have massive numbers of people going in, I mean, you really don't have enough, enough troops unless you give shoot-to-kill uh, orders to stop this from happening. Right? So it's not, I mean, we, you began by saying, you know, this is very civilized and so on, and I thank you for that. And I hope we can continue to get those, that kind of praise. But I think it's all, the whole system has been behaving relatively well. It's not today, and it has not been uh, limited to, to the forces. Everybody has been behaving relatively well. 
And the reason why, Rohan, I use this word is because there is a tendency within democracy uh, to call people uh, names who are protesting, you know, and I, I really don't want to get into those details, but I have seen people calling protesters terrorists or people indulging in arson, whereas... Uh, Barring a couple of incidents, I think the people who took part in the civic protests in Sri Lanka were very well behaved and they showed discipline, courage and conviction. I think the disconnect was on part of the politicians. I think uh, Sri Lankans have demonstrated what they want. I think they want a new deal. Now, it really depends on the people at the helms of affairs to give the Sri Lankans a new deal. They have got a raw deal from their uh, elected representatives. Uh, I think they deserve a new deal, a better deal, and a better life. And I would like to uh, thank all of you, Dr. Aruna Kalatunga, uh, Dr. Vijay Vardhane, uh, Dr. Rohan Samarjiva, and Anush Vijayasena. Thank you, all of you, for being part of my uh, Twitter space discussion at such a short notice. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you.